Welcome to the Property Magic Podcast. My name is Simon Zucci, and in this podcast, I'm going to deep dive into the property investing strategies and investor mindset for my book, Property Magic. I will also share real estate investing hints, tips, and tricks, which I normally only share on my property mastermind mentorship. Hello and welcome to the second episode of Property Magic Podcast, in which I'm going to get you to think about what might be the best property investing strategy for you. I'm also going to give you an overview of some of the main strategies in the UK property market right now, and I'm going to share with you exactly what I would do if I was starting again. But first of all, I want to start off with thinking about where you should actually be investing. This is a question I'm often asked. People say, should I invest locally where I live, or should I invest further afield where I might be able to buy cheaper property? So as you know, I started investing in property back in 1995. I was living in Birmingham in Selly Oak, just next to Birmingham University where I'd been a student. So I knew the area pretty well because I'd lived there for a few years. And I quite liked the area, so I was happy to live there. And also it was very close to where I was just starting work at Cadbury's in Bourneville. So I bought my first house literally just up the road from where I was living on Tamworth Road in Selly Oak. I didn't really do enough research at the time, but I was pretty confident that I'd be able to rent it out in the future. And it was really great for me at that time as well. Now, a couple of years later, I decided to move on and I bought my second property about 10 minutes away from the first property, 10 minutes closer to Cadbury's and 10 minutes further away from the university. So the second property wasn't such a good location for students, but it was perfect for me. Now, this is really important. When you're thinking about where you want to buy, you need to think about not what's right for you, because where you live might not be right for your ideal tenant. So you need to think about who's going to want to live in this property and make sure the location is suitable for that type of tenant. So as I said, my first property became a student HMO back in 1998 when I moved into my second house and I rented it to students ever since then without a single problem because it's a fantastic location for students. Even though there is an oversupply of student accommodation in that area, I maintain if you have good quality accommodation, you'll always get people who want to live in that type of property. So it's worked really, really well for me. Now, another reason I was investing locally close to where I live was because I don't actually drive. I've got really bad eyesight, which means I can't see a license plate at 25 meters, which means I can't actually drive. So I was forced to buy property very close within walking or cycling distance, usually within five or 10 minutes cycling distance from where I live was all I would do. So I started buying properties very, very close to me, usually between where I was living and, and Cadbury's where I was working. So it was very easy for me to look after and manage these properties part time because I had my full time job at Cadbury's. And because I started to buy quite a few properties, once the estate agents knew I was serious, they would actually call me with specific deals as and when they came up. Now, you've got to be specific. You've got to let the estate agent know what you're looking for because they're going to have lots and lots of properties for sale. And many of those may not be suitable, may not be appropriate. In fact, working with estate agents is just one way of finding property deals. And in future podcasts, we can look at other more creative ways of finding deals where you're not competing with other people. But I'll save that for future podcasts. So initially, I started where I live and where I work. And I think that really is the best thing you can absolutely do. However, as my network grew, as I started to meet other investors around the country through my property network meetings, 
I realized that there were other areas where the investment stacked up better. I could buy a cheaper property in a different area and make more cash flow than where I was living. And this is often a problem. People look at where they live. They say, oh, it's too expensive. The rents aren't enough. And they think they can't invest. Well, you can invest further afield. I think it's good to start where you live, obviously, where you live or where you work, because you're going to have a better understanding of what are the good areas? What are the not such good areas? But you can absolutely invest outside of your area if you have a good power team around you to help you do that. So what I mean by a power team? Well, obviously, you need people who are going to help you buy properties in the first place. That will be your estate agents or maybe property sources. If you're not there um, yourself, you need other people to manage the property for you. So you need really good letting agents. You also need handymen and builders to maybe get work done on the property to get it ready to rent in the first place. So you've got to have your local power team. And a great way of finding those is by connecting with other investors around the country. You can do those through the Property Investor Network meetings. And these days, it's very easy to do online as well. When I first started investing, there was no internet. So we were very limited to our local geographic area, the areas we met. But I'm just trying to make the point that doesn't necessarily have to be the case right now. We have many people in my Property Mastermind program who, by tapping into the network, invest all over the country. And we have people who actually live overseas and they invest in the UK as well by tapping into local contacts on the ground who know what they're doing. Now, when I started buying around the country, if I'm totally honest, I probably didn't have the best strategy. I was getting leads from someone who was finding lots of motivated sellers and I was paying them for those leads. And I was speaking to these sellers and I was often buying properties, literally using none of my own money, using some of the creative strategies we could use in the mid 2000s. And so I was buying property pretty much everywhere, all around the country. I don't suggest that's a good thing you do. If you want to buy elsewhere, try and buy in clusters. And now I will only buy in areas where I know I've got a really good letting agent who can look after those properties for me so I don't have to be bothered with the property management. So yes, I will buy around the country still, but only in areas where I know I've got a really strong power team who can help me. So I hope that answers the question about where you should be investing. Start where you live and work because you can know the area better, but you can always go further afield. Now, the next thing you want to think about is what are specific strategies that you can use? And I'm going to cover three of the main strategies that are very popular in the market right now. The most common strategy that most property investors use is what we call a single let property. That's because it's probably the easiest strategy and the one most people start with. And actually, many people become investors because they become accidental landlords. Maybe they've lived in a house and rather than um, selling that house to buy the next one, they hold on to that house. Maybe they weren't able to sell it at the time. They didn't need to sell it and they thought they'd become a landlord. And this next type of property, which is single let property, is what most people do. So single let is where you have typically one tenant. The tenant could be an individual living on their own. It could be a couple. It could be a family. It could be an elderly person. And these properties are very popular because they are probably the least amount of time and effort required. This is what I was starting with, although I did have one student HMO. Now, the problem with this type of property is that although it's low effort, it's probably the lowest cash flow. 
many single let properties only just cover their costs. And so people think, well, if I need to replace my income, I might need 30 or 50 of these properties to replace my income. Um, however, in some parts of the country, you can make up to maybe 300 pounds per month from a single let property. So I don't want you to dismiss them. In some areas, a single let property can work incredibly well. Now with a single let property, the tenant pays all of the bills. So they pay their local council tax, they'll pay the gas, the electric, the water, all of those things. And all you have to pay is the mortgage you have on the property, your landlord insurance, um, management fees, if you have a letting agent looking after the property for you, and of course, ground rent and service charges if the property is a leasehold property. Now, here's a tip for you, um, and this applies to whatever property you're buying and however you're using it. I believe the best property to buy is actually houses instead of in apartments. Now, this is for two main reasons. First of all, houses are generally freehold, which means there's no ground rent or service charge to pay. So what that means is because you're not paying those fees to the freeholder, it means you're going to get more cash flow from your property. And I'm all about getting cash flow from every investment you make. So houses are generally freehold. That's better for you cash flow wise. But also houses generally have better long term capital appreciation. You know, a lot of people like to live in nice apartments and often shiny and new. They're great to rent. But when it comes to buy, especially if people are trying to start a family, they probably want a two or three bed house to start a family. They want a little garden for the kids to play in. So although apartments are very popular to rent out, what actually forces appreciation in prices is people want to buy a particular type of property. So that's why I believe out of all the properties I've got over my 25 plus years of investing, I've seen much better capital growth on the houses I've purchased rather than the apartments. Now, this applies generally to the UK. It's slightly different in London because most of the property in London is actually apartments. But if you're buying anywhere else around the country, my guidance would be to buy houses if you possibly can instead of apartments. OK, so that first strategy was single lets. The next strategy is a more advanced strategy called HMOs or Houses of Multiple Occupation. Now, this is where you rent out multiple rooms in a property to individual people. It's a highly regulated industry in the UK, but done correctly, once you know how, it's actually quite straightforward. And this is my absolute favorite strategy because this is the most profitable. When I looked back at about 2005, I looked back over all my property after 10 years of investing and without a doubt, the most profitable property and actually the least hassle for me was my student HMO, which was actually my first house. And when I moved out of it in 98, I started renting to students that had been always full. I had the least hassle and I'd made the most money. So in 2005, I really started getting into more HMOs. And actually, it's probably the strategy that most of the students on my mastermind program use to quickly replace their income. So let me talk to you a little bit about this type of property. So there are four main types of tenants you can get in an HMO property. The first is students, people who are studying university. They're full time students and they often come as a group. They're living together. 
Then you have young professionals. These are people who have been to university and they've now gone out and got a great job as an architect, solicitor, accountant, engineer. It's a profession that they're in. They got a good salary and actually they quite like living in a shared house with other people because that's what they did as a student. And it's more cost effective for them than living on their own. The next group of people is working people, people who are working in a, in a shop, factory, office. Um, the only difference between them and young professionals is that they haven't necessarily been to university. Maybe they've just been living with mum and dad and they need a little bit of coaching on on what it's like to live in a, a shared house because mum and dad are no longer there to pick up your clothes for you and do the washing up. And the fourth group of tenants that people put into houses of multiple occupation are people who are on benefits, on local housing authority, otherwise known as LHA benefits. Now, these are people who um, don't necessarily uh, have a job or they can't work. And I find that this group of tenants, if you wanted to manage them yourself, it's very difficult. Um, it's more time and effort and work involved. So I personally don't have that type of tenant in a multi-let property. I have plenty of single let properties where I have LHA tenants and they're fantastic. I don't get any problems. They're great because often they settle down. Kids are in the local school. They want to stay there for a long time. But in an HMO, the nature of the tenants is they are a bit more transitory. So with an HMO, the tenant pays one amount each month and that covers the rent and all of the bills. So it's very convenient for them. And also it's more cost effective than if they lived in a studio or apartment on their own where they'd pay the rent and also they'd pay all of the bills. Now, the benefit for you as the landlord is having four five or six people living in this property. The individual rent you get from all of those added together is much, much more than you would get for a single let property. Now, bear in mind, you still need to pay the bills, the gas, the electric, the council tax, the broadband internet, the TV license, etc. However, when you take all of these costs into account, you should make a lot more profit. So a good six bed HMO should make you about a thousand pound profit per month. Now, just think about that for a minute. If you were making a thousand pound profit from every single property you had, how many properties would you need to replace your income? For the average person, it's somewhere between three and five good HMOs would replace their income. And actually, many of our students get three to five properties within a year or two. So a year or two from now, if you know what you're doing, you could actually replace your income. And that's why so many people love this strategy. Now, they can be expensive to set up because obviously you need to make sure they adhere to all the regulations, but you don't have to do it with just your money. Obviously, if you have your own money, it's the best way to start. But many of my students do joint ventures. So they go and find some very profitable HMO properties. They find someone else who's got the money, but doesn't have the knowledge, the time or the inclination. And my student does all the work and the other person puts all the money in and they then share the profit, the cash flow and the equity growth. Now, you've got to be very careful when doing joint ventures. And in future podcasts, I'm going to talk all about joint ventures and how you can structure them to make them as safe as possible. But also, you don't even need to buy the properties. You can actually use them on a rent to rent basis. So rent to rent is a strategy where you find a landlord with a property. And for whatever reason, they maybe don't want to manage or rent that property out. Maybe they've had a bad tenant or bad letting agent or whatever it is. And they've had some void periods where they've had no rent and they've had to pay the costs. And you find these people, you offer to give them a guaranteed 
rental income. So you give them a guaranteed rent, probably slightly less than they'd get normally, but because they're guaranteed, they don't mind about that. And you rent it to someone else for a higher amount and you make a profit on the margin. So rent to rent is a great strategy when done correctly to really put your toe, to dip it in, to see if you like that type of property. It's a very low investment. You can start making money very, very quickly from that. And even better than rent to rent is a strategy called a purchase lease option or PLO. It's similar to rent to rent in that you give a guaranteed income to the landlord for a period of time, but you also get the opportunity to buy that property at some point in the future for a price you fix today. So not only can you benefit from cash flow, you also get the benefit of potential equity growth as well, which is fantastic. And that's one of the reasons we invest in property is to get the long term capital growth. The third strategy I want to touch on just to make sure you're aware of this is what's called serviced accommodation or SA. And this is a very popular strategy right now. It's otherwise known as short term lets and also furnished holiday lets, FHL. So the concept is where you take a property and you rent it out very short term to people. So this might be people who are on holiday for a week or for a weekend. It might be people who are uh, contractors working away from home and they stay in a property during the week and they don't really want to stay in a hotel. They want to stay in an apartment or a house that's got the uh, creature comforts of being at home. And this is a very, very popular strategy. Um, if you have a property like this, you're probably not going to be renting out all the time. You need to recognize that. And you should be aiming for about 70% occupancy. Now, what you want to think about when you think about serviced accommodation, it's a bit like a hotel. You provide the room, but you also provide service and customer service. So the whole point is you're providing cleaning of that property and new laundry, bed sheets and towels. So it is a more of a service industry and it is a business. It should be seen as a business. Now, the good news is you don't have to do all of the work yourself. You can put some great systems in place to get other people doing it for you. Some people, they don't do that and they end up earning lots of money, but just giving themselves a very busy job. And again, this is one of the strategies we're going to cover in depth in a future episode of the Property Magic podcast. By the way, you don't have to buy these properties. You can do that, of course, but also you can do them on a rent to rent and a purchase lease option just as you can with HMOs. So there are a number of different strategies that you can combine and use together. Now, there are some challenges uh, with service accommodation, and unfortunately, many people are not doing it correctly. Um, and so I would recommend if you do service accommodation, you do it as part of a balanced portfolio. You don't really want to put all of your eggs into one basket, so to speak, because if regulation comes in, I think there's a risk of some people's service accommodation business is being pretty much wiped out because they're not doing it in the correct way. So it's a great strategy, but just be careful with that. So the purpose of this second episode of the Property Magic podcast was really getting to think about where you should be investing and the type of strategy that you should be using. And I guess the strategy you use will also depend on how much time you have and how much money you have as well. So we've created a free online test called the strategy profile test, which you can take. Now, the details are in the show notes. But when you take this test, it's about five or six questions. 
and it will give you a six page PDF report, which will tell you what is probably the best strategy for you based on your circumstance, i.e. the amount of money you have and the amount of time you have. And what this does, it helps you narrow down and focus on a few strategies. A challenge I see with many property investors is they learn about a strategy, they, they try it a little bit, then they learn about the new shiny penny strategy, they try that, and they never really focus on any one strategy. If you want to be really successful, you want to educate yourself about what's out there, but then pick the strategies that resonate with you and focus on those. Once you've mastered those, then by all means, learn and start doing another strategy about And over time, you can build up this, this tool chest, this toolbox of strategies you can use. So no matter what the circumstances are for this particular seller, you can find a strategy that's going to work for them. So in the next episode of the Property Magic Podcast, I'm going to talk all about HMOs because I do believe it's the best strategy to quickly replace your income. Now, I'm going to bust the five main myths about HMOs. People worry about oversupply and the things need licensing, etc. I'm going to bust the five myths. And also, I'm going to clear up the confusion around HMO planning and HMO licensing. Now, this is really important because many people, um, they miss out on doing HMOs because they don't really understand them. So I'm going to clear up the confusion for you and help you to decide if a strategy that you want to pursue or not. So that's it for now. Until next time, as always, I'd like to encourage you to invest with knowledge, invest with skill. Thanks for listening to the Property Magic Podcast. To get this week's show notes, please visit www.propertymagicbook.co.uk forward slash podcast. You can contact me on LinkedIn. You can follow me on social media. And I highly recommend you subscribe to my YouTube channel to watch loads of valuable property training for free. All of the details are in the show notes. Until next time, invest with knowledge, invest with skill.